0: This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. And this week, I am absolutely not going to say this is a special episode because I say it every single week. So not going to do that. Every week feels like a special episode, though, because we do have guest hosts. So it's always neat and unique for me. But this week is really different because we have the entire IT department for Good Nurse, Bad Nurse as our guest hosts. Hello, Mark.
1: Hello, Tina. (laughs) You got all of us in this room. I can't believe it. It's
0: pretty amazing, isn't it? So uh, you guys that listen to this podcast every week, you know that the IT department is really my husband, Mark. (laughs) And so I get all these emails and messages on social media telling me that my listeners that listen to the podcast, many of them make their husbands (laughs) listen also. Like you do. (laughs) Well, I do make him... He does listen. I don't have to make you listen to my podcast, but I do sometimes have him listen to some other podcasts. So I kind of get that. But these people are, are will tell me like their husbands aren't even medical. So that's what I kind of thought that was kind of funny, but they've told me that they enjoy it. So that's that's good that tell, I I kind of wondered if people who weren't medical would enjoy it or, or not nurses. Yeah.
1: I have coworkers who listen and enjoy really? it.
0: Oh, that's uh-huh. that's really cool. That's very encouraging. I love hearing things like that. So I thought it would be kind of neat to have Mark on so you guys could get my husband, a nurse's husband, you know, perspective. Those husbands, of uh, those people out there who are listening who are not nurses, not medical at all. And we were going to talk about some things. For one thing, um, we're going to talk the first little segment in the our icebreaker. We usually talk about a, a news story. We thought it would be kind of fun to talk about the impact on home life that being a nurse has. So we got some topic, we've got some things that we've already kind of been discussing.
1: Yeah. So we just were driving down the road and started thinking about all the things that are unique about nurses and nursing and and how it affects everyone in the family. And, you know, one of the things, one of the first things that impacted us was night shift, mm-hmm. working night shift and, you know, having to, sneak around during the day and not make any noise, kind of get you out of housework, but it all piles up after a while.
0: Yeah. So if, for instance, when I work night shift, I would, if, if uh, maybe it was on a Saturday and Sunday, so I need to sleep during the day. Of course, I worked all night long. I'm going to have to sleep. And, but the rest of the family is awake, of course. They don't work all night long and they don't go to school at night. So, they're awake and needing to be active and doing the things that they need to do. But, I I mean, I have to sleep. What are you going to do? So, it's, it's it was definitely complicated.
1: Yeah, and, and, you know, obviously the hardest part on you is the sleep cycle. Yes. Uh, just, just trying to adjust when you're off work and... And just, you know, you you have a hard time going to sleep sometimes on a regular schedule. So it was really hard on you.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah, because if, I, for instance, if I work two nights in a row and then I'm off one night and then work the next night, I'm not going to try to switch back because that's what I would do. I would work all night long, come home, maybe sleep for about three hours or so, it seemed like kind of a good time, and then wake, then get up on purpose and be awake the rest of the day. And then, of course, I'm exhausted by that night, so I can go to sleep at a kind of normal Mm -hmm. time.
1: But you know, your your days off didn't really feel like days off. Right.
0: That's another problem with night shift is when, especially when you have that, when you have one night off, you're you're not going to switch back. So when it's time for everyone else to go to bed, you will have slept all day and then you're going to have to be up at night and trying to be up at night when everybody else is asleep is sort of the same thing as the problem when they're up and you're trying to sleep. You can't be doing a whole lot, making a whole lot of noise. So you're kind of just either doing maybe something, maybe the laundry or something like that, but there's not a whole lot that you can do, you know, mm-hmm. when everybody's trying to sleep. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's that's kind of uh, sort of the, a few pitfalls of, of night shift and the impact there. Day shift as well can have some, not as many. There's, I mean, you typically work 12-hour days. Not everyone who is a nurse that works day shift works 12-hour days. There are people who work Monday through Friday jobs, you know, eight to five. Mm-hmm. But a lot of nurses that work at the hospital, they do work 12-hour shifts. And when you work those 12-hour shifts, you are absolutely egg- exhausted when you get off work. So, the next day... If you're off the next day, it's almost like you just have to recover. And so it's really difficult to get anything done that day. You may have all these things in your mind that you're going to do. Oh, I need to clean the house. I need to do this. I need to do that. And you're so tired.
1: Yeah. And we know uh, just from doing it for a while, we know that you need that recovery time, that first day off. So no one has much of an expectation
0: Well, you would hope, I mean, I, you, you are very understanding and supportive. So when it comes to that, I don't have to worry about that as much. I hope other, (laughs) I hope other spouses are that way as well, because it really is true. It's hard to get anything done that next day. I tend to try to, if I have appointments, I try to schedule them for that day because you, I can get in the car and go to a doctor appointment and kind of run errands and do things like that. But as far as doing any kind of It's almost, it's, yes, I'm physically tired, but it's mentally tired too. You know, it's just emotionally, mentally, lots of ways. The emotional toll that it can take on a nurse is definitely real. You come home and you've whatever you've dealt with that day, whether it's family members who are yelling at you, or maybe you were understaffed, maybe you didn't have, you kind of left there feeling like you didn't do your job well.
1: Yep, you've had those days. Yeah,
0: I, you get home and I'm just like beating myself up because I feel like I, maybe one of my patients took up a lot of my time and I was in there so much that I, I couldn't physically be in three or four different places at once. So no one's being neglected. It's just that I know how I like to do nursing.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and another thing that maybe is unique to nursing, at least when I compare it to my own job, you know, I can most days wind my day down you know, at my pace. Mm-hmm. But with you, it's always picked at the end of the shift right. because you've got all the turnover to do. And that's when there's a lot going on. Stress stress is high. And you do that every shift. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's how you end your day.
0: Yeah, toward the end of the shift, it is very stressful on nurses, especially with that handoff, because we are very fortunate to, where I work that most of the nurses, in fact, I guess I would say all nurses are just so supportive of each other and encouraging and day shift and night shift. I think we have a really good relationship where we don't have a lot of the bullying and making you feel bad if you come across something that wasn't done Mm
1: -hmm. And I know you've worked a lot on since you've been there and it has improved. We've
0: worked really hard on it. Our, our whole floor has, everyone has kind of stepped up and tried to be the example of the nurse who is supportive of each other and not bullying each other and not tearing each other down. And it's something that happens. It's something that happens in nursing and it's, not healthy at all. It's not good for nurses. It's not good for the patients because it creates an atmosphere that is just unhealthy for everyone Mm -hmm. working. It's just not a good environment. So we definitely don't do that, but that that adds to the stress. Right. One thing that you talk about a lot is the, the lack of flexibility in a nurse's day if you're working.
1: Right, right. So always comparing my job to yours, just relating... Know, what I'm used to and what you go through, uh, and that's that just jumps out at me. That you can't just up and run to the school and take your kid something he forgot, right. or run to a doctor appointment. You, you have to schedule around because once you're there, you're there.
0: That's right. When you you the days that we work, you're there at six thirty in the morning, six forty five until you leave at 7, 7.15 in the, in the evening. And all throughout that 12, 13 hour period, you're really not available for your family. It's not an option to get a phone call and say, you need to go do this. You need to go do that. It's very rare occasions Things like that can happen, but it's got it can't be a regular thing. That's just, obviously the hospital would not function if everybody was just running out for this and run that. People don't right. even leave for lunch. Right.
1: Some things, uh, you know, they, have, they just have to get done, and and things that I might have liked to have gotten your input on, I just have to make a call and go with it, and we just have to live with yeah. that. But
0: that's true. Yeah, sometimes things you'll text me at work, and I can't look at my. I just can't look at my phone.
1: Yeah, three hours later. Yeah, three hours hasn't later. hasn't even been read. Yeah,
0: I get a break <laughs> three hours later and look at it, and and, and there there will be an entire con- one-sided conversation. <laughs> uh, do you want this, this, and this? If, if I don't hear from you, I'm going to do this, this, and this. <laughs> right. Well, I just went ahead and did this, this, so, and this. It's
1: like we're in some kind of uh, prison situation where it's you, <laughs> sending the signal over the wall or something.
0: Right, and... And then by the time I'm reading it, and this happens a lot with friends, you know, or just different situations. it That's just the life of a nurse. You just can't, if you, you're so focused on your patients, you have to be, you obviously have to right. be. And so it's really important to have a supportive home life, have someone at home. And And my heart really goes out to single parents who are nurses. There are a lot of single parent nurses. I really... I was amazed at the single, uh, the single parents who were in nursing school who were able to do that. I could, I remember just being, I, I just didn't understand how in the world they could do it. Yeah. But then even working, how do you do this if you don't have? A, I I'm hopefully they have family or someone that can step up. But if for people that don't have anyone, that's got to be hard.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I felt like. Even during school, that there was a lot of support needed, you know, from all all of us in the family. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I see at home is, you know, you see so much and you experience so much trauma and just incredible, uh, shocking things. Mm. Do you feel like it desensitizes you to have a certain level of? compassion for just normal everyday bumps and bruises <laughs> at home.
0: Well, maybe it does. I mean, I think this is probably something that all I, maybe not all. I don't want to generalize everyone, but I think I think it's pretty common for nurses to struggle with this. When you're at home, you and you see someone has a little boo boo, or just stump their toe, or some random pain, <laughs> or scrape. It's a, it's really hard to muster up a lot of compassion for that when you've you're absolutely your compassion is spent at the bedside with people who have traumatic brain injuries and who are excruciate in excruciating pain from pancreatitis, or I don't know, just all kinds of different issues. So, so then, the stump toe. Just-
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you would mention the stump toe because just the other day we went over to I think it was Panera and ate with our fifteen-year-old son. Are
0: you about to? Make, <laughs> are you about to make me look and really bad in front of my I'm listeners? I'm gonna
1: try my best not to. Oh, no. But uh, so we're sitting there and and. Uh, Levi just uh, scoots his chair up, you know, as so he picks picks his this steel chair up with the four corners, you know, and, and he lands on my not my pinky, it's my well, purple toe now, so <laughs> we'll call it the purple toe, and and you know he's like 190 pounds or something, so it was it was really really painful. And I think the first thing out of your mouth was some kind of a joke. I don't know. I wasn't able to laugh for about 10 minutes, but later on, you've had compassion for me, but you didn't overreact by any means.
0: No, I'm not going to overreact. I mean, I have to learn how not to overreact um, when a patient has gone asystole on our floor or they are in respiratory distress and their family is standing there and they're about to have to be intubated, I've had to learn how not to overreact, how to keep a poker face, how to show concern, but at the same time, restraint and professionalism. And so, yeah, it's... (laughs) I I forgive you. When I see see Levi, (laughs) this is just bad. But Levi, you know, sat down on your toe and then, you know, you were just like writhing in pain. And I looked at Levi and he kind of looked at me. I don't know. The look on his face was kind of funny. So I started laughing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, it wasn't a joke. You just started laughing.
0: No, it wasn't a joke at all. Like nobody really made a joke. It was just really like the reaction that Lee, it was like the look on Levi's face. And then I laughed at that. And then I think you were like, wow, I can't believe you're laughing. <laughs> like, it hurt really bad. You know?
1: <laughs> well, you know, the the other end of that is is kind of odd, but while, while you might have this, Thick skin. You also are very sensitive to things that we do as a, you know, as a family that seem dangerous to you. Well, so,
0: how about wearing your seat belt? I mean, I don't think that's unreasonable. We get <laughs> not in the talking car. Talking about
1: seat belts. Yeah, but it's we get about in the car. Can Can your kid play football? Can we go whitewater rafting? <laughs> this, these are things that you see danger in that you forbid.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, can you excuse us for a moment? (laughs) We're about to get into an argument. (laughs) So I'm not going to try to hash out all of these issues, but yes, I guess I have become somewhat overprotective because probably of some things that I've seen working at a level one trauma center and seeing all the head injuries that I've seen and just unrestrained motorists. Of course, you want our kids to wear their seatbelt and for some reason even though they have from the time they came home from the hospital been in a car seat seat belt and everything else they get the, at the age that they are now i turn around and see them in the back seat and they don't have a car <laughs> uh, they don't have their seatbelt on i can't even right. believe it i don't understand it and it's, so yeah i go into this rant and <laughs> going on and on about patients that i've seen in a Ejected from the car, from the back seat, and everything. And they're just sitting there rolling their eyes at me. But I'm just like, oh, I don't understand it. I've taught you to wear your seatbelt. Why aren't you wearing your seatbelt? And trampolines and yeah, white rider rafting. I can't <laughs> help it. people People drown. People get head injuries. I'm so scared of it.
1: Well, we love you for it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Hey Q, we're in a commercial, so we got to talk fast.
1: Let's do it. Okay.
0: So I think I know the answer to this question, but have you ever signed up for a travel nurse agency and immediately regretted it? When you started getting all those texts and emails?
1: Sadly, Tina, yes, I have.
0: Okay, well, Trusted Health is a nurse travel agency that's going to change all of that. They make it simple and fast to go online and sign up, and then you immediately start seeing job opportunities that are tailored to your interests. And you can even see the pay.
1: Sounds too good to be true, Tina.
0: Well, the best part is there are no recruiters, no unwanted emails, and no unwanted text messages. No recruiters? Tina, I'm going to need some help. Where are we going to go if we have all these questions? Right, right. Well... They do have nurse advocates who are there to answer any questions. They'll help guide you through the process, but they're not commission-based, so they're not going to try to pressure you into taking a job that you don't want.
1: Cool beans, cool beans. Well, tell them when to sign up because we're running out of time here.
0: Okay, right, right. So, you guys, if you're even a little curious about travel nursing and you want to help support our little podcast here at Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, please go to www.trustedhealth.com forward slash Nurse. And follow the steps to completing the sign-up process. It's real important that you complete the whole process for us to get credit. And we would really appreciate the support. Remember to be sure and put forward slash good nurse at the end of the URL when you go to their website. So they'll know we sent you there. Trusted Health, they're not just an agency. They're a movement. Well, I guess we've hashed that out enough. Hopefully you guys enjoyed our little conversation there. We've got a pretty good... Uh, Badner story to talk about. I don't know why I always say good. It's not really a good story, but it's an interesting our story to talk about to just see kind of the darker side of what people do sometimes it's just it's really unbelievable and week after week, I do these stories, and sometimes I still just cannot believe what some people
1: will do and I will say about this particular story, you know they say a picture's worth a thousand words and wouldn't really want to say that to promote a podcast, but in this case, I would encourage everyone to at least see a picture of the devastation.
0: Yeah. Oh, it's, it is, it's, it's devastating. So this is, we're going to tell the story. First of all, I wanted to start by saying that this story was sent in by Michelle from Indiana. So she sent me an email and I I get, I get several of our stories from people who send in either emails or, or messaging me on social media. and I have I always forget to say that. So I want to start trying to remember to do this to try to give credit to these people because I appreciate you so much for doing that. So Michelle from Indiana, thank you so much for sending me that nice email and giving me this this story. So this is the story of the Richmond Hill murders. And this happened in Indiana, Indianapolis, Indiana, which my sister is from there. Hello, Tammy, if you if you're listening, sometimes she listens to the podcast. I don't know if she listens all the time. But
1: I'll text her.
0: Yeah, text her and tell her to listen to this one. <laughs> so, Richmond Hill is a quiet little subdivision on the southeast side of Indianapolis. So, one evening, just after eleven p.m. on November the tenth, in two thousand twelve, not too long ago. The entire neighborhood was rocked by a massive explosion. The explosion could be heard for more than 10 miles away. And even there was one of the residents of the neighborhood said that they were awakened by the explosion. And this person is a combat veteran and they served a tour of duty in Afghanistan so of course we know we've talked about PTSD before on Good Nurse Bad Nurse we've had um, a, we had Josh Strickland uh, who was a, a veteran talk, talking about that and this particular resident of this neighborhood did suffer from PTSD and it just when he woke up to the sound and the feeling of this explosion he just. Immediately, he kind of didn't know where he was. Having flashbacks, of course. I mean, the people. I hear of people who have PTSD of this happening just from like fireworks. So I can right. imagine.
1: Yeah. And you know, it reminds me of uh, something that happened when we lived in Nashville. There was a big explosion. I had just happened to come home for lunch that day and I was sitting sitting there eating a sandwich in our living room. And, and I heard this explosion and I literally thought, that something had happened right outside of our window. I went to the window to look outside and thought I would see a car accident or something. That happened maybe two, three, four miles away. This was 10 miles. People felt this.
0: Yeah, people could hear it from 10 miles away. One woman said that she was almost like jarred off of her couch. Like she felt herself almost lift off of her couch. It hit that hard. It shook her house people woke up and looked outside and saw what looked like a war zone they saw smoke insulation falling like snow rubble up to up to their knees people running and screaming disoriented dazed devastation raining ash and cinder just those were the ways that people were describing this whole area so firefighters at a fire station nearby they heard of, of course and felt the explosion also so before the people even started calling in to 911 to, to say there's been an explosion, they immediately knew that they needed to go. And so they get to the neighborhood, and the first thing they see are several houses on fire, of course. Nearly 30 homes were damaged severely enough so that they had to be demolished. And other homes were, you know, had a lot of damage, but they could at least repair repair them, I guess.
1: You know, I don't, I don't know that my mind really can grasp that because I, I, to destroy a house, right. you know, and we're talking dozens and dozens. I mean, I've, I've heard a lot higher numbers than 30, you yeah. know, but, you know, living in in subdivision we once lived in, you know, a bad storm would come through and and people's garbage cans everywhere in the streets, you know, that looked like devastation. But right. we're talking about the house itself being destroyed,
0: right? It's just unimaginable. So the home that's kind of at the center of all of this, that actually did explode initially, was owned by Nurse Monserrati.
1: Yeah, Monserrati.
0: Monserrati, surely. So this is our nurse, okay? That we're talking about. She had lived there in the in the neighborhood for about nine years. She lived there with her boyfriend, or maybe I should say her boyfriend lived with her there. His name was Mark Leonard. And then she, Monserrati Shirley also had a teenage daughter. And then they had a cat there. So this was the home and the family of the house that exploded. But no one was actually at home when the house did explode. No one was there. Now, Shirley's house was next door to the home of husband and wife, Dion and Jennifer Longworth. Their home was also completely destroyed in the explosion. It was it's uh, a, originally a two-story residence and it was completely demolished into a seven-foot pile of rubble. And even though they really tried to rescue the couple, neither of them survived.
1: Oh. Just incredible. Yeah.
0: Jennifer Longworth was in the upstairs bedroom, so she died immediately. But her husband, Dion Longworth, was downstairs, and so he actually survived the initial blast. But what happened is I guess he must have fallen through to the basement, and he was trapped down in the basement of this house.
1: Yeah, this was the hardest part to read and, I guess, detail?
0: Uh, It's horrible. There were firefighters there trying to help him, talking to him, communicating with him, and they just were not able to get to him. They, um, I guess there was a hole in the house there at ground level, and they were talking to him through that hole. They were trying to pull him out through the hole, but the fire just kept getting closer to where they were working, trying to get him out, and then the heat just got so Intense that even with them in their protective gear, they had to get they had to back away. I mean, it's just horrible. It's just horrible. And yeah, I would
1: imagine mm, you know PTSD for those grief, yeah firefighters.
0: Just awful. And Mr. Longworth did sustain thermal injuries. He was he had charring over ninety percent of his body, and the cause of death was inhalation of hot gases and soot, um, also carbon monoxide poisoning. So, and I
1: think that. You know, that couple, Dion and Jennifer, that's the focus of the story, really, because they were the only ones who lost their lives.
0: Yeah, they were. And just to, you know, we always try it when we can, when we can find out. We couldn't find a whole lot of information about this couple, but they were, we did find pictures of them. They're
1: beautiful. She was a
0: teacher. Mm -hmm. I don't remember did it say what? I don't know if we ever saw what he was, but I know she, it said she was a teacher. Um, I think they were in their 30s. Yeah. And just, just really sad. They had to identify them ultimately through their dental records. They start doing um, investigations into the explosion to try to figure out what happened exactly. So they, of course, suspect natural gas. So lots of people in the mix here trying to figure out. What in the world happened to this house? The neighborhood was close to an airport, so they almost thought, was this an airplane crash? So they could not, it was so, there were, the devastation was so vast that they couldn't even tell if maybe it was an airplane or not. I mean, that to me is amazing that you look at this explosion. And think there could be a, have been an airplane there at some point.
1: Right. You're right. And if you look at the pictures, you can see why they would think
0: yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely could too. So, they also thought maybe it was like a meth lab that exploded. Then or maybe it was weather related. Just trying to think of all the things that it could be. But all of those theories were rolled out. And then they started focusing in heavily on natural gas. Now... When they look from all different angles, even from, of course, aerial photographs, they can tell from the patterns of the explosion that the initial blast happened in the kitchen of this home. So they start honing in on the kitchen. This is where it started. Mm-hmm. Start investigating And no there. one's home. Right. There wasn't anyone there. So what happened? Why did it explode? They noticed that the microwave looked like it had exploded from the inside out rather than if a blast had happened and it kind of caved in or, you know, crushed in on itself. The door was blown off into another room. Also, it normally was seated over the stove. You know, some microwaves are positioned over a stove. Well, there was a huge microwave-shaped indention, I guess, into the top of the stove and the of course the microwave wasn't there but they note so it almost as if there was like a downward mm-hmm.
1: wasn't wasn't just the microwave falling on it
0: no no it obviously there was a lot of pressure to cause this indentation and then there was a metal cylinder the size of a of a water bottle and it also looked like it it, it had exploded from the inside out and it was near the microwave They actually found, which is really amazing to me, the fact that there was all this devastation and these homes are completely demolished and basically just piles of rubble. But they found the instruction manual to this microwave and underneath. We
1: can't even find ours.
0: (laughs) That's true. (laughs) This is true. But they come across the instruction manual and they're looking through it and they see that there's a setting on this particular microwave you can actually put food in there, and then set it to go to start cooking later at some point, like in time, like maybe eight hours later, up to twenty-four hours. You can put food in there. I don't know why anybody would want to do this, but that's how this that's how this microwave worked.
1: Thanksgiving turkey.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. So then they're they're really thinking. Okay, this this is starting to look a little suspicious obviously clearly so now they head over to the utility closet and the in the utility closet there the natural gas line goes through there and they notice that this natural gas line that normally has a safety valve that valve had been removed and replaced with just a black plane pipe
1: big red flag.
0: Yeah, that's a huge huge red flag right there. Then they also noticed that there was a similar valve missing from the fireplace. So the fireplace also had and all of the, the stove, anything that had to do with natural gas that where natural gas went through it, it they all had these safety mechanisms so that even if that safety valve was missing from the other from the original source there in the utility room it would still not come out from that, like if you were to leave the stove on or something like that. But that safety valve was not on at the fireplace. So it was a gas fireplace.
1: If I didn't know some of the rest of the story, which I don't know all that you know, Mm -hmm. but... I would already be very suspicious to see safety mechanisms removed in a house.
0: Definitely. This, this house obviously exploded. These safety mechanisms are removed. The microwave exploded from the inside out. It can be set ahead. Yeah, it's, it's definitely looking extremely suspicious at this point. So they really are thinking, obviously, someone's done this intentionally. Who did it and why would they do it? So they're looking, they looked at the neighbors who did who died in the explosion next door? To see is there would there be anyone that would want to target them? And maybe they're if someone's smart enough, they could set this uh, expl- uh, cause this house to explode, and then that explosion would then cause them, and then indirectly, um, just I guess thinking like a criminal, you know, if somebody's thinking oh, I'll blow this house up, it'll look like an accident. And Nobody Thirty-three else, others. Yeah, no one will ever suspect. So, no, they ruled that out quickly. Those you know, those sweet people did not have anyone wanting to hurt them. And so they start kind of honing in then on the owner of the home, Monserratti Shirley, and her boyfriend Mark Leonard. Now, of course, she's a registered nurse. She grew up in Puerto Rico and she was very poor by her own account growing up. And she always she said she always watched American tourists who would come and seem to have just endless amounts of money because they're on vacation. And what we, we probably know, they probably didn't. They were probably like in debt up to their eyeballs. <laughs> but poor Monserrati didn't know that. And so she was always so envious and wanted to, dreamed of going into medicine. So she moved to Indiana when she grew up and she went to nursing school. While she was there, she met her husband. They bought a really nice home together. They really couldn't afford it, but she wanted that nice home. She wanted that life. And... Because of all of the financial strain and the difficulties, they ended up filing for bankruptcy and divorced. Okay. So far,
1: that story uh, fits a lot of uh, other people's stories. It
0: does. It is, unfortunately, that American dream that we hear told um, about ends that way, sometimes more like a nightmare.
1: But. So still don't go and blow up houses? Though,
0: well, right? no, of course not. Of course not. But they did have a daughter um, in their marriage, and she was about 11 when they divorced. And so, Monserrati was a single mom with her daughter living there with her. And so, she goes out with her friends one night to bar, and she meets a man by the name of Mark Leonard. That's her boyfriend, of course, that's living with her. I guess Mark Leonard was a stripper back in the day now, we came across, <laughs> we came across so some pictures. Oh, no. We came across some pictures of, of this guy. I'm sorry, but really? I mean, even, and I understand he's older now than he was then, but still, I just, it's really hard to imagine this guy being a stripper,
1: but, making money at it. Yes. That's oh hard goodness. to imagine.
0: Yeah. Anybody want to see him take his clothes off, but so. The night that he met Shirley, um, he was driving a Hummer that was leased. He had this big wad of cash that he would pull out of his wallet, you know, to pay for something and then, you know, wanting to kind of show off like he had a lot of money. He wanted people to think that he was a big spender. And so I guess that impressed Monserrati Shirley. And so they left the bar together. He ends up moving in to her home with her young teenage daughter, which... I am not impressed.
1: No, we don't like to hear that.
0: I feel, I don't know. I guess I shouldn't go there, but it's just like, that's, I can't imagine being our mom of a teenage daughter meeting a guy at a bar and within a few weeks, letting him move in to my home with my teenage daughter. I just eh, can't imagine it. But so one of the first things that investigators noticed was there was furniture missing from the house. Uh, There were no televisions in the house. Now, there were remotes, so they knew there had been televisions. And my thing is, how in the world did they even find the remotes? Because I can't find a remote to (laughs) save my life when I want to turn TV on.
1: (laughs) Finding the TVs is not a problem. It's always the remote.
0: Yeah, I guess they had to blow the house up to find the remotes. (laughs) There they are.
1: (laughs) We should try that. No, No, let's don't. Let's don't.
0: Let's don't. But I guarantee you the backs were not on them, though. (laughs) No way. I mean, no. There's never going to be a back to a remote. I don't know why they don't make remote controls so that the back doesn't come off.
1: Yeah, let's just throw them away when they wear out.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, remotes are there. No televisions. There's a TV wall mount uh, on the wall in the living room. No TV. Um, On Friday, November the 9th, which was, of course, the day before this happened, Shirley arranged for a room at a casino. She also arranged for a place for her cat, when we said they had a cat, to be kept at a kennel. She arranged for a babysitter for her daughter. And then, not know
1: people put their cats in kennels. Yeah. We have cats. We don't put them in kennels.
0: Well, I'm going to have to agree with you there. I mean, that is one of the... Benefits of having a cat as a pet
1: is uh, the only benefit I can think of.
0: That's not funny. Not funny. you can at edit all. that out. Oh my goodness! Can you, he likes to? I have. We have. Do we do have cats? I'm a cat person. I'm also a dog. I mean, I just love animals. But yeah, they are definitely my cats, and he likes to give me a hard time about them. <laughs> but I do. I love
1: your cats. Yeah, right. I love you.
0: Okay. <laughs> like, uh, you just lied um, So anyway But yeah they did put She did put this cat in a kennel And got a babysitter for her daughter And then they went to A casino for the weekend Um, As it turns out So now they're sitting there At the casino when she gets a call From the neighbor Who told her or, or no, she got a call from a friend who told her, your neighborhood, something bad is happening there. So she called a neighbor, and then that neighbor told her that her house had exploded and that there was nothing left. But as it turns out, this was not the first time that they had gone to a casino for the weekend. The This was actually the third weekend in a row that they had done this.
1: Huh? <laughs> what is that mean
0: i mean i guess they just like to go to casinos every weekend these people like to party i don't know but the um october 27th she also uh, she arranged for a hotel room for herself and for her boyfriend at an out-of-town casino arranged an overnight babysitter for shirley's daughter and then also boarded her boarded her cat at a kennel that weekend as well
1: wow she, she must be off every weekend
0: yeah well Oh, my goodness. I just now realized it's three weekends in a row this woman doesn't have a work. She's a nurse.
1: <laughs> that's, why, that's why it struck me. Like, what's going on? That doesn't sound right. What?
0: I, I get you. Yeah, that's <laughs> totally unbelievable. I don't know what's going on. So, November the 1st, same thing. Made arrangements. Boarded the cat. Um, Shirley's daughter spent the night with friends. Went to a casino. So... This weekend, November the 1st, this is the weekend before the actual blast happened, okay? On this weekend, okay, a week before, Mark Leonard is talking on the phone to a good friend of his, Mike Duckworth. Now, remember this name because this is kind of going to be something that he's going to come up a little bit later, but they've been friends for 20 years, they're talking on the phone, He mentions, he just kind of drops, you know, the fact that he's looking for a Ferrari on the internet, just kind of scrolling through the internet looking for a Ferrari. Well, Mike Duckworth knows Mark Leonard. (laughs) So what's he going to say? How can you afford a Ferrari? He, He knows this makes no sense. So Mark Leonard tells him that Tsunami winds blew out the fireplace and the house blew up. And so they're getting $300,000 from insurance.
1: Okay. That's that's pretty cool. Well,
0: except that this is a week before the, uh, the house actually exploded. So Ooh,
1: that's odd. Is
0: that not odd that on November the 1st, he tells his friend that they're getting $300,000 and then a week later, the house explodes from a natural, <laughs> natural gas explosion.
1: And he's a planner. He's planning ahead. Well, he is he also psychic?
0: Because <laughs> I don't know. So anyway, they were having some financial problems. Monserrati Shirley was having financial... Obviously, she had filed bankruptcy before the divorce. But that year, she also had been behind on her mortgage payment several times, sometimes even up to like three months behind. There were, She was in debt, Mark Leonard was also in debt. He had a gambling problem. There was just a lot of financial problems with these two. And just Jeff-
1: investigators, you know, they I'm sure they have some kind of basic checklist mm-hmm. on things like this. Right. And I'm, I'm I'm seeing them checking off a bunch of boxes on this one.
0: Well, and I'm sure one of the first things they're gonna look at is what kind of insurance did they have in the house and were there any significant increases in those <laughs>
1: Of course. Interest.
0: Yeah. So she did increase her personal property insurance from 150,000 to 300,000 just recently, you know, prior to the explosion. So investigators say that on the Friday before the explosion, Mark Leonard and his brother Bob Leonard spoke with a neighbor who was a Citizens Energy employee. And they were asking him about the differences between propane and natural gas. And then on the day of the explosion, another neighbor saw a white van. You know, we always talk about white vans <laughs> and good nurse, badness, but usually yes. it's for different reasons, but they're just really no good, honestly. There's just <laughs> not a lot of good that comes from white vans. But another neighbor saw the white van pull into the driveway of the home between two and three PM in the afternoon. And the men were supposedly in the home briefly and then hardly left. And Bob Leonard's son told the investigators that there were several items in the van that had been taken from the home, including photos and financial documents.
1: And, you know, this is always after the fact. It, it looks obvious. right? It looks incriminating. But in real life, and, you know, as... The days go, you look at, looking out your window across the street. You, you, know, you know, you don't think things like this are happening.
0: No, I mean, if yeah, you see a white van at your neighbor's house across the street. People like putting things. You might have a, a fleeting thought that, uh, you know, that it could be someone do up to no good. But yeah, but
1: not your neighbors at their own home. It's or, the
0: guy was at his own their, home. Yeah. So obviously these three weekends in a row they were clearly trying to set this house on fire. Um, and this was the third weekend of them trying to get this plan to go through. Because for one thing, Monserrati Shirley's ex-husband said they had literally never boarded their cat at a kennel when they left. There was, they never did that. And so three weekends in a row, she boards this cat at a kennel. That he That was, you know.
1: Can you imagine what it would be like to... Have a failed home explosion and have to go back to that house. I guess. I mean, and I don't try know, again.
0: Right? If they if they were releasing natural gas into the home and then doing whatever it was they were doing, yeah. Yeah. I I
1: wonder who volunteered to go in first.
0: I know that's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Good point. I. Someone has to go back in that house knowing that they did something to try (laughs) to get it to explode. And they did this
1: two weekends in a row. That's
0: true. That's very true. So, they clearly, when you think about the weekend before, when he tells his friend that the house exploded and he's getting $300,000, he obviously thought that it worked. Yeah. And what happened is... The guy who, Gary Thompson, uh, there was uh, this other guy, Gary Thompson, who was also involved. He was one of the people that was trying to set the the house on fire in one of the two previous attempts. But when he was on his way, he got pulled over by the police and he wasn't able to go through with the plans. And that was the weekend that...
1: That that information didn't make it back to Mm -hmm. Mark.
0: It did not.
1: And, you know, the fact that they tried twice and failed now that in that case uh it, it was just because they didn't go through with it but if you if you try it and and it doesn't work you know after a while you just go all out and it sounds to me like that's what they Decided to do, like, pull all the safety features off the pipes and just fill the house full.
0: Yeah, completely disregard any human life that's anywhere around the home. But why don't we put our cat in a kennel because we're worried about the cat's life, really?
1: Right. Take all of our furniture.
0: Uh, Worried about the televisions, worried about furniture, photos. But we're not worried about the neighbors at all.
1: Which, you know, her being a nurse, uh, that had to, you would hope bother her to think that, you know, maybe she didn't think, maybe she didn't think that someone else was going to get hurt.
0: Well, let's see what happened. So on December 20th, 2012, the state of Indiana did charge Leonard, Shirley, and Bob, all three, with felony murder, conspiracy to commit arson. And then they added... Three aggravating circumstances, and those aggravators make that can make the penalty a lot greater. In fact, they could have even asked for the death penalty, but they decided not to. They didn't think that the jury would go that far. I guess so. Mm-hmm. They didn't ask for the death penalty, but they they were charged. They did charge them all three of them with murder.
1: I guess it would be. I, I guess understanding what aggravators are would would help, but it would be hard to prove intent to kill and. In this situation, because they're just trying to destroy stuff and get insurance money.
0: Well, the reason, the aggravators were basically, Dion Longworth, he survived the explosion, but he was killed because the flames and the soot and the carbon monoxide. Mm -hmm. So he died uh, as a result of, you know, the hot gas, the soot inhalation. He was burned alive his body was mutilated in the fire and
1: so any reasonable person should know if they're going to blow a house up that it might cause a fire of
0: course makes sense that 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 it might cause the neighbors homes to catch on fire as well it's ridiculous to think that you could just, you know, you're, only your house is going to be impacted by this. Right. So, that was the, the main a- uh, aggravator, the fact that it was obviously was basically, you know, just torturous for this poor man. And I think that was rightly so. I think they definitely should have been that way. Um, sure. They needed the maximum, whatever the maximum penalty was, I, I feel like they should have gotten that. So... Sometime after he was charged, Leonard um, was charged, was taken into custody. He was put in the same maximum security cell as a man by the name of Robert Smith. And Robert Smith is someone who is in and out of jail a lot. And so when he's in jail, he basically has become almost like a professional jailhouse snitch. Informant. Informant. So... While he's in there, while Leonard is in there, Mark Leonard, he starts talking to his cellmate Robert Smith, and I swear it doesn't matter how many. It's it's not like we try to tell people. It's not like we're trying to give really give advice to to felons or people who do bad things, but it is so incredibly obvious to us on these. I mean, with these stories, how ridiculous it is. That these people go into jail and you think you this person who's sitting here would love for you to hand them with a little red bow a something that they can turn around and hand to their process the person prosecuting them and say, I will give you this nice little gift with a red (laughs) bow if you give me, you know, four or five years off of my sentence or or whatever. It's just, and they're, and, they're, and people go, they get arrested and they go into jail and they start handing out these little gifts left and right. And they, it's like, have you never seen?
1: <laughs> yeah. And this story is just riddled with stupidity. Yeah. Uh, know, right one one of our local radio talk hosts here, uh, they, they have a segment called Idiot of the Day mm. or Criminal, you know, Idiot Criminal of the Day. And... I think this this guy tops them all.
0: I do. I agree. I completely agree. I, I think idiot of the year, maybe century, decade. I don't know, <laughs> because one dumb move after another, and I guarantee you, somewhere in this whole story, there has got to be this guy had to have gone to Home Depot and get to be caught on <laughs> tape because everybody has to do that. They,
1: I did read somewhere that they did did have video of them purchasing. Uh, something f- for...
0: For the explosion? The, yeah. <laughs> well...
1: It was Home Depot.
0: I It was, or Walmart. I mean, <laughs> you know, one or the other. So Robert Smith, of course, did go running back to the prosecutor and he did make a, a deal. Um, and what they did is they set up Mark Leonard. So they had this guy, this jailhouse informant, go back and talk to Mark Leonard. And he talked to him about... Well, because what Mark Leonard originally what approached him about or was kind of talking to him about was the possibility of having one of the witnesses killed. So he's he's focusing in on Mike Duckworth. You know, I told you earlier, kind of remember this guy. This is the guy who he was talking to said, I'm getting a Ferrari. And he said, how in the world can you afford it? And he says, my house blew up and I got $300,000 insurance. And then that happened. You know, he had the conversation <laughs> a week before
1: it actually happened. Do you really think that he needs that witness to be prosecuted for all these other things that no, I think the prosecutor
0: would be absolutely (laughs) fine with all of the mount mountain of evidence that they have just at the explosion. Yeah. But he for some reason thinks that poor Mike Duckworth, the guy he had a conversation with, he was dumb enough to say that, you know, before he wants to kill this man. Clearly, no regard for human life whatsoever. And we already knew that from the beginning. But this helps to, you know, prove it even more. But he he does, um, when when this jailhouse informant goes back and continues this conversation, of course, he's being recorded now. And he, he does go on to try to set up um, a hitman. And, of course, the hitman is not really a hitman. He's also a special agent. And he catches him trying to pay to have someone kill Mike Duckworth. Wow. So just to add on to all of the other charges and everything else and plus to just make him look like yeah, you really are a piece of garbage. <laughs> so in exchange for her testimony at Leonard's trial, Monserrati Shirley entered in an, in an agreement with the state. She pled guilty to one count of conspiracy to commit arson and she All all remaining charges were dismissed. But the agreement called for a sentence of between 20 and 50 years. And I guess we don't really have... Well, public records showed that she was actually sentenced to the maximum 50 years. Uh, She's currently uh, incarcerated. So Mark Leonard actually died in prison of natural causes. So we didn't really talk about this, but... He had some sort of blood disorder. I never could find out what exactly it was. At some point, he had to be hospitalized. He got a unit of blood, had some sort of re- reaction to it, and almost died. And Monserratti surely, I guess, nursed him back to health or helped helped him through this difficult time. So he had some health issues, some chronic health issues, and he did end up dying of natural causes in prison.
1: Which... You know, I, I saw a, a brief, I think it was just a local news interview mm-hmm. with Dion's uh, you know the man who burned to death his dad was interviewed after uh, Mark Leonard had had died mm-hmm. and he was very gracious very gracious about it um, didn't have he, he did say that he felt a lot of relief about it but he didn't really have mean words to say I thought that I was that, commendable
0: that's amazing to me i don't know that I could have been so kind, but I, I personally think that he got off easy getting to die early sure. on of natural yeah. causes. But so, and then there is still to this day, a pear tree in the yard of the home of Dion and Jennifer Longworth where that Dion planted, uh, just, you know, I guess a few years before. So, and it's still there.
1: Wow.
0: Yeah. So that's the story and it's i know it's awful it's just it's it's just awful what people will do for money and have absolutely no regard whatsoever for human life just just absolutely not care that that money was more important the televisions off the wall the the yeah. the photos the doc the financial documents and not give any thought whatsoever to people around them
1: you know all of these you know i'm a big uh, forensic files fan and, yeah. and uh, all, all these stories that you've done, uh, there's, there's just the big three that most of them fall into and money's right there at the top.
0: Yeah, that's true. It's all, yeah, it's always the three. It's either, you know, it's going to, you're going to, people, when you're watching that forensic files, there's either.
1: You know, in the first 30 seconds. Right.
0: <laughs> it's going to be either they have money problems, they're wanting money, you know, greed, something to do with money. Yeah. Sexual, you know. Yeah. Issues. A
1: love, relationship. Right.
0: Having an affair, whatever.
1: Just anger, pride, yeah. something just you explode. Yeah.
0: That's true. So I guess we can get into our good nurse story. I'm excited about this one. This nurse in Detroit at Henry Ford Health System developed a system for detecting whether or not uh, a patient could potentially be a victim of human trafficking. I thought this was amazing.
1: That really is. And, it, and it, this story actually reminded me of uh, the project you've been working on this year at your work.
0: Well, I guess I could, I guess I could sort of see that. We, The hospital is that where I work is a teaching hospital, and so they always encourage nurses to get involved in research. And so every year you have opportunities to do a research project And yeah, I'm right now working on a project that will it'll it's sort of an educational video that will be shown to to patients.
1: Type of protocol to follow.
0: Yeah. So it's just sort of explaining to patients about I don't know. I, I don't I don't really wanna go into any detail about it, but it's yeah, I'm working on something that I wouldn't I don't know that it's similar to to what she is doing.
1: Well, yeah, human trafficking. That's, that's, well, wow. and
0: actually detecting victims. That's, I, I, I'm so amazed. Yeah. I'm absolutely that is really blown incredible. away with this because not only did she come up with this, basically, sort of like a survey for the staff to consider, like think about these questions when a patient comes in, be looking for these clues. And you just sort of check these off. And some of the things are like, it, well, they are, well, they won't look you in the eye. They, there is a, a male person with them who basically is trying to talk for them. They don't want to let them talk. Very controlling, refuses to leave the room, just that sort of thing. Right. And so they, they have all these different check marks that they meet, too many of them, I guess, on this scale, that sort of, throws up a flag and then they investigate further. What's interesting to me is that she did come up with this this scale and then the other system, I don't know what, protocol maybe. And she was kind of, she said she was even kind of second guessing herself. Like, oh, I don't even know if this will work, uh, that sort of thing. They started using it and they found something like 17... Patients. Wow,
1: that's a lot.
0: It's horrifying to me. What this is unreal to me. that to think this many people in the in this how whatever period of time that they had been doing this seventeen they came across. I'm sure there were some people that came, kind of fell through the cracks. You can't, you're not going to be able to detect. To, I
1: don't know. Everyone, I don't know but. how common it is to actually hear a story, but we had that happen here in Our town, yeah, this uh, year or two or so ago. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it was very scary. They, you know, followed people around in stores and Mm -hmm. they had all the footage.
0: I think it goes on all around us and we have no idea that it's going on. I I think that when we hear a story like that, it's there's probably a lot of other stories that we don't hear about because it is. It's a huge problem. And the fact that this young nurse came up with a system to try to help, and that's what that's why we like to do the good story at the end of, you know, just kind of like bring some light, bring some encouragement to nurses, because they're for every bad nurse or healthcare professional out there that for whatever reason they're 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 humans, they make mistakes, they do bad things, but there are thousands of other nurses and healthcare professionals doing amazing things all the time and making a difference in people's lives and she made a difference in those 17 victims
1: 17 rescues that's a big number mm-hmm.
0: and ongoing because this is something that's being spread out to different hospitals now and other yeah, people yeah that's going to
1: be a legacy
0: mm-hmm. other people other hospitals are looking at this going what is this system that you've got we need something like this too and so good for her her name is Danielle Bastien she is actually a nurse practitioner and I just think it's amazing. I think it's wonderful and I'm really proud of her. She makes me proud to be a nurse as all, all, often our good nurses do. So way to go, Daniel. And I guess that wraps it up for our episode of Good Nurse, Bad Nurse with, with the entire IT department. <laughs>
1: Well, it's been a lot of fun. I'm happy to finally get to join you in your studio.
0: And do you have a website that you'd like to tell our listeners where they could go? I
1: do. (laughs) GoodNurseBadNurse.com. Please go there and look around and uh, drop us a note if you can.
0: Aw. Yes, I love it when you guys send me notes. It's wonderful when you send me emails. Um, Some of you guys send me the best emails. They're so encouraging. It really just this podcast is it's a lot of work isn't it Mark I mean, yes we, it
1: is and that is a highlight of her day when she hears from some of you guys
0: yes as soon as I see the first thing I do when I see that come through and they're coming in more and more now so if I have I try to respond to everyone if I haven't responded to you Please be patient. I will respond to everyone, but sometimes they're coming in a little faster now, so it's harder for me to get to everyone. Usually
1: the only texts that I will get from her from work are (laughs) screenshots of someone's message.
0: So, Because sometimes I'm just like, oh, listen to this, listen to this. It's just awesome. So I love you guys so much for doing that. And I really appreciate it. So keep sending us those messages. We really appreciate it. I just want to remind you guys also... Even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.